welcome to the Wordsmith Podcast. I'm Josh Bennett, lead pastor of Waking Church, joined by Matthew Grady Calhoun. Hey. And Shane Suggs. Word. And we're back for another week of the Wordsmith Podcast. We're excited to be joining you guys as we continue our dive through the book of letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We've got an interesting question for you guys today. Pastor Matthew actually picked this one out. What book, TV show, movie, or music... We're going to say excluding the Bible has had the biggest impact on you. Me and Matt talked about this earlier, and I was I was kind of on the wrong track with this question because I was thinking like big impact, like this has formed or changed the way I think or feel or act sure. uh, about something. And he very kindly reminded me that it doesn't have to have that deep of an impact. <laughs> it just um, it, it you could tell that it that it has impacted you at some degree because you would mention it quite often. So for for that, I would say uh, for like a show, it would be Seinfeld. There's so many things that happen in life, and it always reminds me of a Seinfeld episode. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is exactly what George was saying, you know. (laughs) Um, But so I guess that that one has had sort of an impact on me. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just a lot of really mindless entertainment uh, for oh, sure. the most part. But yeah, but man, it's just been a good way to pass time. I mean, it was the number one show when it went off the air. So. Yeah, and you watched most of it live, correct? As it yes, I, yes, I did. <laughs> uh, Trying to date me there. But, yeah. um, I was too yeah. young to have done that. Um, uh, so I've seen it mostly in syndication. Oh, okay. Yeah, I did watch them live. Yeah. All right, so I, sometimes I just like to be difficult. I'm going to answer all of these. Go ahead. <laughs> All right, so what book had the biggest impact on me? We've actually mentioned it before, so I want to mention something different. Uh, Probably if I had to pick any book, I would say Adopted for Life by Russell Moore. But we actually mentioned that earlier in the season and kind of talked about it briefly. I'm going to skip over that one, and I'm going to try to think of a a fiction book. And I think if you're going to make me pick one, and that's partly why I want to answer all of these, because I, I hate questions. like <laughs> I hate, what's your favorite book? What's your TV, favorite TV show? What's your favorite movie? What's your favorite music? I like thinking deeply about things that I've watched and I've uh, been entertained by and things that have had an impact on me, but I hate having to pick. Um, so if we were to ask this question two or three seasons again, I would probably give you all four different answers. What book had the biggest impact on me? I, I've mentioned it before. It was definitely um, To Kill a Mockingbird. I, I try to read it. I've not done a good job over the last several years, so I guess I should, I should stop saying this. I used to try to read it on an annual basis uh, or once every uh, one year, every two years, yeah. um, because it's it just the character of Atticus Finch, it, that's somebody, it's a fictional person. He didn't really exist, but I, I still kind of want to be what he was or what he spoke to, the, sure. the qualities yeah, yeah, and the yeah. virtues that he, he spoke to, because that's that's my favorite line in that book is this idea of courage isn't a man with a gun in his hand. It's somebody who knows he's already licked before he begins, but he still does it anyway. He still completes his task, whatever it is, even if it's not going to work out because he knows it's the right thing to do, which is kind of what that book is about for those of you who are familiar with it. So yeah, that one, I come back to it regularly. Uh, I did read the prequel and or sequel. It really was more of a prequel, but then it wasn't really a sequel. It was weird. Um, still not a terrible book itself. All right, so then the TV show that had the biggest impact on me, so this weird show called Rectify. It came on AMC for about four years. 
Actually, no, it was originally going to come on AMC, and then it switched over to Sundance. So, Rectify is about this gentleman. He spent the majority of his life in jail, and then uh, DNA evidence proves that he didn't do the crime that he was um, incarcerated for. So now, he's out. And he's from a small town in Georgia that's near the Flint River, not unlike Coppola, Georgia. It's a fictional town. And he has to go back to this small town where everybody knows, and he's infamous there, and he has to figure out what it is to have freedom again, what it is to not be a part yeah. of the, the penal system. And he has to get plugged back into his family and back to his community life. And obviously it's an incredibly difficult thing for How him. How long was he in? So in the context of the show, nearly 20 years, I believe. Okay. I've seen the previews for the show. I've never yes, actually watched yes. it. Yes, If anyone ever goes and watches the show, skip the second episode in the first season because it has some stuff I would not approve of. But the rest of the show, it, it, it's it's... I've said it before, I don't know if it's the best TV show I've ever watched, but it's the most beautiful one because it's really about hope. It reminds me of the Shawshank Redemption. Oh, yeah. Man, which that was I a great movie. I could have used as my movie um, because there's just a lot of similarities to it, and it's really about hope. Oh, really? Is okay. what it's, well, what I'd it's, probably like it because I love Shawshank Maybe so, Redemption. yeah. And it's not a long show. It's only like 26 episodes in total, so it's not something you would have to commit uh, <laughs> months of your life to watch right. or whatever. All right, so then movie. Okay. So the movie that's probably had the biggest impact on me was Garden State. Really? Um, yes. So Garden State. Okay. If you've ever seen the TV show Scrubs, the main character in that show, JD, is played by a guy named Zach Braff. Yeah. So Garden State was directed and written and starred in by Zach Braff or whatever. And it's actually, it, when it first came out, it was very highly thought of by critics. And now it's kind of slowly over the years dropped back down. And it's not high, as highly thought of. Yeah. But it was the first movie that I ever watched and I loved that wasn't, like, geared towards me. Like, it was, I want to try to think of the best way of saying this. Like, it was not mature in that it had, like, adult explicit themes. But it had, it was dealing with serious things. Like, before then, all my favorite yeah, movies yeah. were Indiana Jones and, and, and superhero movies. Which sure. are good and there's still value to those. But this was the first one that's not geared towards that. And then that movie, the reason I, I think it had such a big impact to me is it's led me to all these other things, all these sure. other movies and TV shows and books that I never would have checked out and now have grown to love. So even though I, I still wouldn't, it wouldn't call it my favorite movie, just the impact it's had on me and what it's yeah. led me to has had a big Yeah, I thought it was effect. a solid movie. I would have not guessed that yeah. for you, but I, mean, I, I think I watched it like right after it oh, first sure. came out or whatever. Yeah. It's been years ago. There's some really good jokes in there when he wears the shirt that matches um, the wallpaper. I, that joke always cracks me up. All right, and then lastly, music. What music has had the biggest impact on me? I'm going to say, I hate to sound like a fairly basic white guy, or a, fa or a fairly basic millennial white guy, but I am, in fact, a fairly basic millennial white guy. Uh, John Mayer. John Mayer. Really? He gets a bad rap now because when he became a celebrity, he really let it get to his head. <laughs> was, yeah, he's kind of got a reputation yeah, being a jerk. He, he earned it, too. <laughs> but the thing is, what gets lost in it is he is a great, not a good, not a very good. He is a great guitar player. He is a fantastic musician. He went to the Berkeley College of Music. So even with his more poppy, kind of radio-friendly hit yeah. songs... There's there's a lot of really interesting things going on in the bottom of them um, that interest me not only as a musician but just as a guitar player. Yeah, I saw um, an episode. I think he was on maybe like Jimmy Fallon or something like that, and they were going around having conversations, and like he would just break out in song like in yeah. these conversations. It was just pretty. Yeah, he's a brilliant guy, and partly why I still love him is that he's changed. He recognized that he was a jerk. Like he's yeah. he's he's adjusted. He's he's matured. He's kind of figured it out. He's not perfect by any stretch of imagination but i like people 
we don't give people opportunities to change, especially sure. celebrities. We don't sure. give them opportunity to have any sort of, I won't say redemption, but any sort of change or growth or maturity. Uh, and I think he's had that in his life, at sure. least to some degree. You know, I think it's easier to tell what movies and songs and all impact you when you're younger than when you're older. Sure. Because now I'm trying, you know, I was trying to think about it. But like when I was younger, after the movie was over, I would try to be the person in the movie. Yeah. That's how I knew <laughs> that it would, that, okay, that movie definitely impacted me. Like mm-hmm. I wanted to be mm-hmm. Rocky, you know, I wanted to be Indiana Jones, mm-hmm. um, those sort of things. Or, or the song, like the song really, like I, I would sing it, and I thought I was Garth Brooks, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, my nephew, he's eight now, so he's just gotten out of this habit. But for most of his life up to this point, if he's watching Pirates of the Caribbean, he's got to dress like Jack Sparrow. So he would run to his room and change and dress like (laughs) Jack Sparrow. If we were watching Star Wars, he'd have to go dress like Kylo Ren. So he would come back with a Kylo Ren mask and everything. So I I think that's a universal thing. There's something that we see these people, we look up to them, and now we try to kind of beat them. And as you mature... One, you realize that's not a good idea. <laughs> and then two, it's just harder. Joshua, how about you? that childlike wonder. Uh, I'll go ahead and answer most of these, but I'm going to take a similar angle. Um, so we'll go with book. I've said on the podcast before, my favorite book, fictional, is A Painted House by John Grisham. Yeah. But the book that had the biggest impact on me was probably his book, The Firm. And mm-hmm. not because the book is um, anything special. It's a good book. Good but movie. Good. Uh, yeah. Not if you've read the book. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was a good movie, though. <laughs> Which I've, I've seldom, and this is a different topic for a different day, but I've seldom ever read a book and then watched the movie and went, yeah. good movie. That's a general You know, thing, it's yeah. just, anyway. But I was at my, uh, my in-laws in Illinois, and at that time, cell phones were very spotty. Um, they didn't have television, really. They didn't have internet. They didn't have phones. I'm like, what do you guys do here <laughs> for entertainment? And they're like, we read. And at that point, I had just not done much fictional reading in my life. I, had, Whatever I was required to do in school, I did, mm-hmm. unless I could find good cliff notes. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I, I mean, I had read a few books, uh, Lord of the Flies, which I know um, one of Pastor Shane's favorite books. I read that, and Frankenstein, a couple of different books in high school, but none of them really did much for me. Mm-hmm. But that week, I was at my in-law's house, and so I picked up uh, one of my brother-in-law's books. And by the way, I learned that he doesn't bend um, the spine of his books. Ooh. So if you borrow his book and you open the spine all the way up, he would rather you just throw it away than give it back to him. <laughs> but I read The Firm that week, and it was like, man, this is really good. And it mm-hmm. set me on a trajectory of enjoying fictional reading and reading uh, for pleasure, which I had never, I would never have combined those two words together, reading and pleasure. And so, I mean, it certainly had a huge impact on me in that way. And then TV show would be kind of similar. I grew up watching... We watch movies. Like most of my house, my dad had an old John Wayne movie on or mm-hmm. something like that. We didn't really watch TV shows. Uh, my parents started later on in life after I went off to college with like American Idol and stuff like that. They kind of got hooked on that. But growing up, we didn't watch, I watched wrestling. That, that's the closest thing to a TV show I watched. And in college, I got introduced to Alias with mm-hmm. Jennifer Garner. Yeah. Uh, I was actually on a mission trip in Utah. And the <laughs> the um, pastor's house that we were at, they, they were... Everybody in their church come over on Sunday night and they'd watch Alias. And so I watched this <laughs> random episode in the second season of Alias. Had no clue what was going on, but I was like, man, this is good. And I mean, streaming. Jamie's favorite show. Yeah, streaming was not easy back then. So sure. I went back and I went to the local video, DVD, music store, whatever, and bought the box set of Alias Season 1. Got sick the next week and watched <laughs> the entire season in one day, 24 episodes. <laughs> Just chicken noodle soup, me and Jennifer Garner. It was a great day. Uh, and it. It's the reason I say it had the greatest impact on me was 
it, I started watching TV shows. It yeah. was like, oh, this is a new adventure in life for me. That I enjoy the the long storytelling and, and that kind of deal. Um, movie, I'll go with Toy Story 2. Mm. And because it opened up my eyes to animation and kids' movies. And uh, growing up, again, I didn't watch much kids. My dad's idea of a kids' movie, I've said this before, was Howard the Duck. Yeah. Or Cujo, because it had a dog in <laughs> it. That's, that's right. And um, so I didn't. We didn't watch many cartoons. I didn't watch that kind of stuff. And so when I watched Toy Story two, I was like, "Hey, this Pixar stuff's not bad." I remember I was in high school, and I went and I was like, "Man, this is pretty good." And then music. I'm just gonna say it's all hot garbage. <laughs> uh, I am an odd, odd person. I just don't like music. I mean, I'll listen to it occasionally. Mm-hmm. I don't hate it or loathe it. But if you told me, hey, you're going to need to re- live the rest of your life and never listen to music again, I'd be like, ah, that's all right. I just, I can go on a 20-hour car ride and never once listen to a song. It, it just doesn't bother me. <laughs> so um, maybe, maybe one day I get asked this question and I go, this song or this that's artist right. changed go. my life and now I have to have music. Which but. brings me to a Seinfeld episode. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> there was a guy that was dating uh, Elaine and every time... The Eagles sang Desperado. Mm-hmm. He would just stop and stare off into the distance because it was his song. And one time she tried to start, she wanted it to be their song. That's right. Yeah. And she tried to start singing. He's like, no, no, this is my song. You cannot sing it. <laughs> and so he would just stare <laughs> off. And it was yeah. like he was just contemplating life every time the song come on the radio. It was just, oh, <laughs> such a hilarious episode. Yeah. And what's really kind of funny is, even though the fact I don't listen to music, my life is in many ways a walking musical. I sing songs all the time. Nope. Out, of t- out of tune, out of key, wrong words, makeup songs. Mm-hmm. I just don't listen to me. I, I would say songs aren't as bad as the actual music. I just don't care for yeah. <laughs> instruments. There you go. Maybe I'm a closet church of Christ. There you go. That makes sense. Yeah, I doubt it. <laughs> all right. We are going to transition here to the scriptures, First John, and we're going to be looking at Chapter 4, verses 7 through chapter 5, verse 4. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only Son into the world so that he might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the father has sent his son as the world's savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe that love, that the love God has for us, God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. In this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear, because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. 
If anyone says, I love God, and yet he hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and his sister. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. This is how we know that we love God's children. When we love God and obey his commandments, for this is what love for God is, to keep his commands, and his commands are not a burden, because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. I believe as I read this passage, I think John wants us to love people. Yeah. Uh, I was looking back. <laughs> love is mentioned over 30 times in this chapter, I mean in this book, and it is a driving force. and. So much so in this passage, it almost becomes a tongue twister mm-hmm. um, with all the, the emphasis to love. John makes a, a very bold statement here. He says, the one who does not know God, the one who does not love does not know God. That's a strong statement. Why is it true? Because God is love. And everything he does is loving. Mm-hmm. And so if we are born of him... And, and I learned this one time, like we, we say that sometimes, you, you know, you have God's love and, and God's judgment and and God's holiness. And they say, well, which one is the dominant characteristic? Yeah. And and they say there's there's no dominant. They're all equal in God. Mm-hmm. But God's love, I think it's God's holiness would bend to God's love. Um, but they're they're both sides of the same coin, mm-hmm. and it's also interesting that he he talks about especially because he he says everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ was was born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. So he's talking especially about other born again believers. Like that's that's the focus of our love because they have the same Spirit in them that we have in us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no division in God. Uh, God right. doesn't have parts like That's right. His love, His His justice, His holiness. They're they're not separate parts of Him. That right. they they are Him. It's all it's all complete. It's but you all know, perfect. and, and that's all, that's a uh, a simple and a complex thing because oh, yeah. a lot of people think well when you when you try to elevate His love above His holiness or His holiness above His love, mm-hmm. then you you throw God out of whack, and that's why some people. Uh, Kind of when they read the Old Testament and New Testament, they're like, "Man, it seems like two very different gods because they're they're focusing on one more yeah. than the other." But like, and the the one I always go to is Jonah. Jonah's one argument against God that he was too loving, and we mm-hmm. often think of no, the God in the Old Testament is more wrathful and yeah. judgmental, and yes, he's all those. He's he's loving. He does judge righteously. Uh, so you, one doesn't trump the other. Yeah, and it only appears that way because Old Testament is so much of it is narrative based, right? Um, whereas, I mean, a little bit of the New Testament is narrative based. So there's that's part of it. And then too, I just don't think you're paying attention to the Old Testament very well right. yeah. if you make that argument. And obviously, he's he's acting within time, whereas in most of the New Testament, as the Pauline letters, where he's waxing poetic on what Christ has done and how he reveals the Father and how he sends the Spirit. Uh, so there's there's a multitude of different reasons for that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, to, ham- to go back to our question, I've already said it several times, but uh, T.B. Blurberge famously said, um, to think you can know God and not be changed by him is to jump in the ocean and think you, you wouldn't get wet. Right. I think John is, is entirely 
within bounds, so to speak, to say the one who does not love does not know God. Because if you know God, it it's going to make you a loving person. Now, it, it doesn't happen overnight, <laughs> yeah. it, and, and you're not always going to do it perfectly, but it has to change you. you. You can't not be changed by this. You can't not be changed when you've come into union with Christ. There's just no way around it. And sometimes the confusion becomes that we try to define love however we want to define sure. it. And so then we look at an example like Pastor Shane said of the Old Testament and go, well, God's not loving because that doesn't fit my definition right. of love. Whereas, really, we have to allow God to define for us what love is. Mm-hmm. Um, I found this little antidote, and I think it's if it's not helpful, at least it's cute. Uh, this group of professionals ask a bunch of small children what love is. And here were some of the answers they got. Um, Chrissy, age six, said, Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your french fries without making you give them any of theirs. Or making yeah. you give any of theirs. Um, Terry, age four, said, love is what makes you smile when you're tired. Hmm. Uh, Danny, age seven, says, love is when mommy makes coffee for my daddy, and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure that it tastes okay. Hey. That's a good definition. Those are all good definitions. Um, Bobby, age five, love is what's in the room with you at Christmas as you, if you stop opening presents and listen. Bobby, wow, come on, man. Noel, age seven. I have a few more of these. These are just too good not to share. Love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt, and then he wears it every day. I think, I think Noel may have a little boyfriend at school. <laughs> Probably so. Uh, Marianne, age four. Love is when your puppy... You're going to like this one, Pastor Matt. Mm. Love is when your puppy licks your face, even after you left him alone all day. Oh, I do like that. Karen, age seven. <laughs> when you love somebody, your eyelashes go up and down a little, and stars come out of you. Oh, wow. Um, Jessica, age seven, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot. People forget. There you go. And Solel, age eight, no, Rebecca, age eight, says, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, mm-hmm. even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. Good man. Good man. Very good. And so, but you know, we have all these different ideas of what love is, but John lays out for us the the definition of love is what Christ has done for us mm-hmm. and that all love falls inside of God. And, and I was thinking about that because even non-believers haven't the opportunity and the ability to show love. Like we can all say, you know, I know somebody doesn't know Christ, but they're a loving person. Sure. And so that becomes, okay, well, how can we do that if, you, if true love is found in God? then how can somebody who doesn't know God show love? But it's because we're all created in his image. Mm-hmm. We all bear likeness of him to some degree. And so even those who haven't come to know Christ yet or come to know God or experienced the fullness of his love resemblance in some way. And um, John goes on to say, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son, which by the way is a pretty striking similarity to John three sixteen, mm-hmm. into the world so that we might live through him, what is? How do we live through Christ? Well, first and foremost, um, you know, he sent Jesus in to live, die, and be born, uh, and to resurrect, to live again, for a myriad of reasons. But the ones that most particularly relate to us is for the forgiveness of sins. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, Scripture tells us we are dead in our trespasses, dead. Like we don't have life apart from Christ. Truly. In, in the ultimate grand scheme of things, you, you don't really have life at all. 
if, if you have not been forgiven of those trespasses. So Christ comes, he dies, he, he pays the penalty for us. He takes our sin and then he gives us his righteousness. And then we uh, have the spirit in us who cries out in adoption to God, Abba, Abba the Father. Um, so the first and foremost way is to be in Christ, to be united in him with, through faith, be hidden in him, as Paul says in one of his letters. And, and because Jesus now sits at the right hand of the Father, if you have trusted in Jesus, you sit at the right hand of the Father. That's where you are. That's the, the one of the most true things about you is that you are in, if you believe in Jesus, you're in Christ now. And now you live through him. Um, so first and foremost, that's kind of the, the foundational beginning of what it means to live in Jesus. And then John says, love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And what John establishes through here is that God's love is the parameter by which we love others. So that's mm -hmm. the goal that we set for. So why is that a better parameter than other people's love. Why, why is it better to look at how God loves us and go, okay, that's what I'm aiming for instead of going, you know what, my grandma, she was a great loving person, so that's what I'm aiming for. Why is God's love a better parameter? Because it would be a love without flaw. Mm -hmm. um, and any any love that we see that's even inspirational to us would be merely a reflection or an echo of that perfect love. Yeah. It would be a love that does come with conditions. It would be a love that does come with flaws, um, all, all those sorts of things. Sure. But but his love, you know, would would not have any of those stipulations or mm -hmm. contingencies. It's a dangerous thing to say, but I'll say it anyway. Matthew Gray Calhoun is speaking. So if you get upset with what you're about to hear, it's I said oh, it. Sometimes when people have children, you'll hear them say, you know, now I know what it's like to love unconditionally. With all due respect, no. <laughs> you, you know, you have a better idea than anybody else does in that moment, in, in, you know, in a practical sense. But you and I have never in a moment of our lives loved someone unconditionally, always and perfectly. We, even a parental love is going to fail. But whereas God is the only one who loves perfectly. And the good news of the gospel is one day we are going to be uh, united with him fully, sin and death, and we'll be gone forever. And then we'll be able to know that truly to know what it is to truly love unconditionally. Now, that's not to say that a parental love is still not a good thing to strive for, and it's not a. It's definitely a good example. Uh, obviously, Scripture does that all the time. He talks sure. about that. Scripture uses parental love as an example of what God's love is like, but it, it's still not the thing itself. And if you're going to go for the top, if you're going to go for the best, you go for the best, so to speak. If you want to orient your life around love, you start with God and then you work your way down because he is ultimately the highest form of that love. And so that, that becomes the goal that we set out is to say, okay, let me emulate God's love. Because if we take somebody who we think, okay, this person's great at showing and expressing love um, and we try to model after them, then we also may pick up, model some of those bad characteristics mm -hmm. and we're setting our GPS to a bad um, direction yeah. there. So we, we, we search the scriptures and I think that's the point that John's really trying to get across here is like, look, you're becoming living expressions of God's love um, to the world. And so strive for that. Strive to be an example to the world of how God loves us. And, you know, we're going to fail. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to seek forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And part of that is God's love in us, that he's allowing us to make those mistakes. And he's right. allowing and, us to grow. And we all, well, we have to see this, too, because I don't, I don't want to give off the wrong impression that where we see love in others and them expressing love, that the first 
sight of God that my children see is me. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to see how I love their mother, how I love Mm -hmm. others, how I Mm -hmm. love the pastor of my church or something Mm -hmm. like that. And so they are at some age, they're going to, they're going to model the love that I show them. That's, I mean, that's what they're going to model when they're, so it, so it is good, but eventually you kind of walk on your own two feet. So eventually Mm -hmm. it goes from, I'm, I'm copying them till I'm going to the original that's right. Um, artifacts. So I, we need to kind of be, I want to be clear on that, that, that there, is, there are times and seasons in our life where we do model our love after other people, mm-hmm. but it, it shouldn't always stay there. Yes. Yeah. I mean, sense. when you, uh, if you want to learn quantum physics, you don't start with learning quantum physics. You, you learn with addition and subtraction. Correct. <laughs> right. You build right, up towards right. that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. But on a bigger level, I think what we're getting at is like what culture has done it's culture has now said God's love is not perfect love. Mm-hmm. The the love that the culture around us is defining is perfect love. So where we say God's love provides correction and redirection, forgiveness, repentance, all of those things. Mm-hmm. Cultural's example of love says no total acceptance, no correction. You, and so we want to make sure that the love that we're looking for the true definition from is God's love, God's mm-hmm. example. Yeah. Now, John makes an interesting statement here. He said that God's love is made complete in us. What yes. does that mean? Okay, some translations say perfected. Mm-hmm. Um, so you either got perfected or complete. What we need to understand is that does not mean without flaw. What perfect or completed means uh, when you interpret it biblically it means matured. It's a mature. It's a maturing or a matured uh, love. So, so our love in Christ matures on, on our. Of course, His is already perfect, but but ours is maturing. I would kind of liken that to like me and Jamie. This is we've been married twenty five years. I would say my love for her is much more mature now than it was when we first started dating and when we first married it's kind of and and i think that's a good analogy because i mean in in a biblical sense i mean christ is the groom and we are the bride and so if we can kind of understand that context our our love in him is maturing mm-hmm. it doesn't mean without flaw though another angle to approach it from is the idea that love has to be shared love can't end with yourself it has to ultimately go to another so sometimes people will kind of ask and wonder you know why, why did, if, if, if God was holy and complete and perfect before creation ever came, why would he even create creation if he was perfect? Because sometimes you'll hear people say like, well, God created the world because he, he needed us. Well, no, he didn't need us. Right. <laughs> need is definitely not the right word. But it's God's love is what led to create. One of the things that led to creation is that love has to be shared. It has to be expressed. Expressed. Yeah. And so one of the ideas here I think John's getting at is it, our, his, his love is complete in us when we love one another. Yeah. It, it, it's not that um, there's some flaw in it. It's that the idea of love is love has to be shared. Love cannot be something that you kind of keep within yourself yeah. uh, because then it's not really love. It comes bent in on yourself. And, love and would, has to be expressed. And I would add, like, as we mature as Christians, I think that love would would also it, it would be more clear like we would love more clearly mm-hmm. the longer we are in a relationship with Christ it would be more yeah. clear to us and those around us as as we love we should we should be better at it mm-hmm. the next statement john says this is how we know that we remain in him and he is in us 
He has given us his spirit. How is the Holy Spirit a gift of God's love? Well, I mean, the Holy Spirit is the seal. He's the evidence. He's the point of union that we have with Christ or whatever. Uh, we kind of talked about, and I guess we'll talk about more in the deep dive today, but we've talked about in a previous episode that uh, apart from the Spirit, there is no Christian life. You can't be in Christ and, and not have the Spirit. The Spirit's not something only mature Christians get. Right. Like, oh, now I really believe I, I'm so much more mature now, so now I get the Spirit. Well, no, you get the Spirit as soon as you believe in Christ and you've been baptized and risen again, so to speak, in Christ. Uh, the Spirit is a seal. He's the evidence of that. An example would be if you can't be in Christ, and to be in Christ is to be eternally dead, so to speak. Well, then the giving of the Spirit is the first kind of like sign of um, love working in you, love changing who you are, making you more like Christ slowly over time. Yeah, when I think about the Holy Spirit being given, I think about the conversation Jesus had with the disciples when he's like, look, I'm sending a comforter for you. I'm sending you. Someone, because he's, he's saying, hey, I'm dying, I'm being crucified, resurrected, I'm leaving, but I'm leaving you with everything that you need to live out this life that I'm called you to, and that is the Holy Spirit. Like, what greater gift could God give his people than the presence of his spirits to empower them to love, to live, to follow after um, the things that God's called us to follow after and to live out the mission that he's called us to. Yeah, because the Holy Spirit testifies. He testifies to Christ mm-hmm. and, yeah. and Christ's love for us and through us and we are and we're going to deep dive in a few minutes into the things the holy spirit what he does for us and and what it means to the life of a a believer then john goes on he makes this conversation between love and fear and um, talks about love driving out fear and and those kinds of things so what are we to make about this conversation between love and fear for example he says there is no fear in love instead perfect love drives out fear what do we do with that as believers? Say, if I if I have fear about something in my life or anxieties about something, does that mean there's no love in me? Like, how do how do we balance this out? So, I mean, earlier he uses the phrase. Uh, it's in verse seventeen. In this, love is made complete with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. So, I think that kind of helps direct us a little bit to what he's talking about here with this contrasting of fear and love. We know that there's wrong in the world, and we know that there's some sort of price that has to be paid. Like even people who don't yet know Jesus have never heard the gospel. They understand that to some degree, right? Because God's written on our hearts, uh, has in turn written on our hearts. So there's this idea that there's this thing called justice out there, what have you. Yes. Even, and again, it's not perfectly formulated. It's not perfectly formulated to anybody, I guess. <laughs> this idea exists out there in the world, every people group, every place, time, place. People understand this idea, at least to some degree. And what he's saying here is that, correct, um, because as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. And another translation of that they even offer in the CSB is, or fear has its own punishment. What fear? The fear of having to pay for our own sins. The fear that God is a just God and he has wrath for sin and for evil and, and, and for death. And that has to be paid for some way. What he's saying is now you no longer have to fear God. You no longer have to be fearful when uh, looking towards the day of judgment. You have this perfect love. When you sin now, if you're in Christ, when you sin now, you don't sin against law so much as you sin against love. Because the Father loves you. The Father has given his Son. You are now in Christ. And the same love that uh, the Father has for the Son, he has 
for you, not because you've done it all right and you figured it all out, but because you are in Christ. So you don't have to fear that anymore. You, you can be and strive to be love and to love in the way that God has loved you and then love others as in that same way. Yeah, and I think as a believer, maybe you have these times where you fear the judgment, you fear what's coming. And in those times, I think it's it's a call, maybe a reminder to draw, to fall back into the love of God, to like to draw closer to God, because as you're abiding in his love, as Christ calls us to do, that fear vanquishes, mm-hmm. you know. And so I think it's important as believers to go, okay, this this can in many ways be a, a red flag to us to go, hey, maybe I'm drifting here, yeah. um, and a, a call to seek Christ and to draw closer to him. And then John gives us a thought that is not new um, to this letter. He says, for the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Why is it essential? And this, again, is something we've discussed throughout this letter, but it's worth mentioning again because John mentions it again. Why is it essential that we love our brothers and sisters to truly love God? Well, one aspect of that would be that our brothers and sisters are the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And how can you love Christ and not love the body of Christ? Mm -hmm. Um, Christ is the head. We are the body. Because there's no... and. I get where this this statement comes from, but it would be really inaccurate to say I love Jesus, but I hate the church. Right. That that those two things they're they're the they're the same thing. You can't and uh, I think um, Vody Bakum normally says it. It's kind of like saying, "Man, I really like you, but I can't stand your wife." He said that dog won't hunt. He's right. like, you know, you're you're not coming to my house for dinner. You can't say, "Hey, I like you, but I, I can't stand your wife." then we don't have any fellowship together because I love my wife um, because Christ said he loved the church. He died for the church. He's coming back for the church. And then you're saying, yeah, I don't really like that yeah. church. Well, and even when you take that example and you look at it even at a deeper level, marriage is two becoming one. Mm-hmm. So when as Christ is joined together with his bride, the church, there, it's not, there's not even a, sometimes we think husband and wife separated. But when a husband and wife come together, they become one. That's why you can't say, I love you, but don't love your wife. Mm-hmm. Because your wife is part of you um, in a very spiritual sense. And so the same way to say, I love Christ, but I don't love his church, he is joined together with his church. Mm-hmm. And um, you can't separate those two things. And it's also, it's the most visible way we have yes. to show this love. I mean, John's saying that he says, look, if you can't love the person right in front of you, don't pretend like you can love a God that you can't see. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. the very real expression of that is standing right in front of you. And not even... In the, the sense of the world, unbelievers. So we're yeah. definitely, we're called to love them. They said, if you can't love the other people who are joined together with you through the bonds of Christ, mm-hmm. there, there's no way that you could love God as well. Yes, it's kind of like the, the real Lord's Prayer when he prayed in Gethsemane. He says, Father, I want them to be one as you and I are one. Mm-hmm. And they said, even those who will believe because of their teaching, which would vicariously mean us, He's, and But he says, it, there's a one statement, he says, so that the world will believe that you sent me. He's saying their love for one another is how the gospel goes out. I mean, that's literally what he prays. I want them to be one as we are one so that the world will believe the gospel. So, I mean, he says it right there in his prayer. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mike Emerson said, we show how we feel about God by how we treat our brothers and sisters. You know, and Shane, you're talking about this example of this prayer, the real Lord's Prayer, uh, as you refer to it, which is accurate. 
I wonder how much of John's philosophy and theology on the idea of love came from what he heard in that prayer. Because, you know, John's the one that recorded that prayer Mm -hmm. in John chapter 17. Sure. And so you would think that it had quite an impact. You know, we start off this episode on what books or TV shows always have this great impact on you. wonder how much of an impact that prayer, hearing Jesus and the Father connect in that sense, in that Mm -hmm. moment, Mm -hmm. uh, how much it impacted John. And he was certainly reminded, even in this letter, that what Christ was calling for was the, us to love each other. Yeah, I would think Jesus prays this right before he goes to the cross. So think, if you were about to die, you don't waste anything. You don't you don't waste words. You don't, sure. you know. Um, and so um, even if the disciples didn't fully understand it, they knew something was happening. Yeah. And But Christ knew full well he was about to go to the cross. And so that's when he prays this prayer. So I would... I would think John and the other disciples, I think they would really be, you know, listening up like this is really, really important. All right. With that, we're going to take a break and we'll be back in just a minute with our deep dive. deep dive. And today, as we have alluded to already, we're going to deep dive into the topic of the Holy Spirit. We'll say a couple things first. It'll be a shallow deep dive because, I mean, we could do seasons of a podcast on the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, and then secondly, I, I want to preface with this. Uh, the Holy Spirit's obviously a controversial topic among evangelicals, and there are going to be a lot of churches that have different views on the Holy Spirit. And so anything that we say today we don't mean to be disrespectful or derogatory against some of our other brothers and sisters in Christ and their views of the Holy Spirit. But we're going to share with you what we believe uh, the Scriptures teach about the Holy Spirit and go from there. So let's go ahead and jump right out of the gate. Who is the Holy Spirit? And maybe even address why that's the correct way to ask that question. Well, because He is a person. He is uh, the third part of the triune God. He points to Christ. I mean, is that a good yeah. way to start it? Start it, it out is. there. You yeah, know, because sometimes a lot of times we will say, "What is the Holy Spirit?" But it is a person. Yeah, it is. A and person. so the correct yes. question is, "Who is the That's Holy right. Spirit?" And and let me just ask this to jump out of the gate because some people may be confused about this. Is there a difference between the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost? Uh, I think it's just semantic. I think it's a different interpretation. Mm-hmm. Correct. Okay. I just want to clear that up. For yeah, our Holy Ghost would be more old King James um, language. I yes. think they normally say the Holy Ghost. Uh, which I mean, you know, that's fine. Uh, more like the one the CSB we use says, of course, Holy Spirit. Most mm-hmm. modern translations do say Holy Spirit. Yes, yes. But uh, yeah, it's because of the connotations of the word. But ghost. some people still yeah. use ghost. I mean, uh, oh sure, David Crowder's great album. I know a ghost. Yeah, uh, talking about the Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. Uh, say he refers to it. I, I think he referred to it because it made a good song title. Yeah, well, probably so. <laughs> but I'm just saying he use, he's using the terminologies. Yes, but I, I just want to clear it for our listeners because yes. there may be some confusion. They hear Holy Spirit, hear Holy Ghost. Does that mean different things? It's, no, 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 no. It's just different translation of the same word. Sure. Um, and some movements, denominations, people will be more inclined to use one phrase over the other. Mm-hmm. Um, but Holy Spirit is a is a great translation, I believe. Yeah. And so, who is the Holy Spirit? What's the role that the Holy Spirit plays? in the life of a believer. Why do we have the Holy Spirit? How do we get the Holy Spirit? Let's just dive into all this stuff. 
Okay, so I pulled up yesterday when I was preparing for this. Uh, I pulled up the Nine Scene Creed. We we use creeds here from time to time at Awakened Church or whatever. The Nine Scene Creed is the most widely used creed uh, across the world. Churches east, west, they they all kind of use it in various places, different languages, and everything. Here's what the Nine Scene Creed says about the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified, and is spoken through the prophets. So as we kind of already allude to, he, he, he is God. <laughs> right. he, he's, not a, he's not a lesser God. He's not God sometimes chooses to be in the form of the Spirit. No, he, he is equal with the Father and the Son in substance. Uh, they, they are right. one. They're distinct, but they are one. And this was a, an argument that it happened for a long time in church history. Um, for several centuries, well, was uh, was the Spirit because the Spirit of the three, the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, He's the one that comes up the least in the New Testament or whatever. There's a, just a greater degree of mystery about Him, and so they had to kind of hammer that out. And the Nicene Creed is one of those things where they finally kind of uh, nailed down on it. And honestly, even still to this day, we still have arguments <laughs> about exactly who the Holy Spirit is and, and what he does or what have you. Also, I want to refer to the Heidelberg uh, Catechism, which says, What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, that the Spirit with the Father and the Son is eternal God. Second, that the Spirit is given also to me, so that through true faith he makes me share in Christ and all his benefits. He comforts me and will remain with me forever. And if you ever look up that catechism or any catechism on uh, the internet, it gives you uh, scripture references for all those statements, uh, which is kind of the point behind those uh, those tools, because that's what a creed or a catechism is, is a tool. So yeah, I mean, and the one that jumped out to me, uh, Pastor Josh has already referenced it, is of course the idea of comforter, right? Sure. Uh, John fifteen twenty six. when the comforter comes, the one I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. Yes, uh, and I'm just for clarification, there's nothing that the Father and Son possess that the Spirit does not also possess. He is co-equal. Um, we, we often think of, well, the Holy Spirit, he's, he's like God the Father is at the top, and then a little lesser than mm-hmm. Him is, is God the Son, and then just a little bit below Him is God the Spirit. No, they're all co-equals. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're, it's, mm-hmm. it's a triune God. He he possesses omniscience, omnipresence. He he possesses all these things yeah. as the Father and the Son do as well. They like Matt kind of mentioned it. I don't. He is of the same substance. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, he he's co-eternal. And so, an, another role of the Holy Spirit. I mean, of course, we've mentioned Comforter and all these things. You know, there's the role of conviction. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit brings conviction sure. upon us. Um, the Holy Spirit guides us, leads us, directs us. So, you know, we've talked about these different roles of the Holy Spirit. Let, let's break down. I'm going to ask some kind of pointed questions. How does someone receive the Holy Spirit? You, you've kind of addressed this before, but this is a hot topic um, among different evangelical movements. So how does and how do we believe the Bible teaches somebody receives the Holy Spirit? By coming to faith in Christ, mm-hmm. we believe that, and, and you receive Him in full as a as a down payment, almost. Yes. Uh, on on the completion yeah. on the completion of, of salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean that's that's when you receive Him. So when you become a believer, follower of Jesus Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. Now, 
where you get different doctrines on this is people look at the book of Acts and they go, okay, God sent his spirit upon his people and at the day of Pentecost. And we see that early on in the book of Acts. And that was because that was the initial sending of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, now, some people would interpret scripture, well, now you become a believer and then later you receive the Holy Spirit in some supernatural act. But that's not um, how we believe the Bible presents that um, or teaches that. I mean, we believe that Every believer, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've accepted him, repented of your sins, you're following after him, you have the Holy Spirit um, in your life. Yes. And, you know, just to maybe clear up any more confusion there, the Holy Spirit did not start to exist at the book of Acts. Right. Um, You know, the Holy Spirit has always existed. And you get all sorts of of different doctrines about this. Some people think, you know, God the Father is the God of the Old Testament, and then you have Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit is the God of the New Testament. But all all of the Godhead has always existed. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. And um, we just... And, and also, everywhere that you read, now it is most places, but everywhere that you read in the New Testament, Spirit, it's not necessarily talking about the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. So it, in a biblical, that we say it all the time, biblical interpretation is so important in these matters because what you can do is you can read spirit and you're like oh holy spirit so you apply whatever that text is saying to the holy spirit which would be incorrect because it's not talking about the holy spirit yeah i was reading in first corinthians 14 last night and there's a passage where it has spirit and in the csb it's capitalized but then there's a little note by it because then you follow the note and it's a smaller s spirit which is basically them saying he might be referring to the Holy Spirit. He might be referring to the spirit of the persons he was talking about. We're not sure. <laughs> right. So uh, context always drives what kind of, sure. who exactly you're addressing. Sure. Yeah. You know, and that, on a little just side tangent, somebody had asked in our small group one week about capitalizing pronouns referring to God or the Holy yeah. Spirit. And, um, you know, some translations do, but some don't. And the reason why is because the interpreters is stepping away from assuming the pronoun is allowing you to read the text and you determine whether that pronoun is referring to God or John or, you know, whoever, that kind of thing. Yeah, and I wanted to speak to, uh, you mentioned it briefly, the idea that the Holy Spirit didn't exist until the New Testament or whatever. So Jesus Christ, Christ means the anointed one. Well, what was he anointed with? The Spirit. (laughs) So that's in the Old Testament when David was anointed, he was anointed with oil, but more importantly, he was anointed with the Spirit. So during the Old Testament, the difference between Old Testament and New Testament is in the New Testament, all believers, everyone who is trusted in Christ, who everyone who is in covenant with God has the Holy Spirit. Whereas in the Old Testament, it was just select people for select moments and select times. So all the believers in God in the Old Testament, all the true believers and followers of Yahweh in the Old Testament didn't necessarily have the Holy Spirit. Whereas in the New Testament, that's one of the things that was prophesied and promised to us. Uh, the book of Joel will be a great example. This idea that all of us, the, to, to, to the best, to the least, all who are in Christ all have the same access to the same Spirit, have the same access to the same God. Now, let me ask another question that may get a little bit controversial. What are the expressions of having the Holy Spirit? Well, in modern times, depending on who you ask this to, uh, most people would associate that with uh, speaking in tongues, you know, that sort of thing. And whereas we differ from our Pentecostal brothers and sisters, because I believe we are brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. um, is we believe that the speaking in tongues or other languages was given for the foundation of the church. And for this is maybe I, I tend to lean towards practical things, but 
Here's what would normally happen, because the apostles and disciples of Christ, they were not the only teachers and rabbis or whatever in culture at that time. Because like even John here is talking about people who are teaching a false gospel. You know, there's all these sorts of teachers. So let's say, for instance, you're a first century Jewish man. You, you live in a town and you have four prominent teachers that all come to your town preaching something. And um, all of them are preaching very different doctrines. And so you're like, well, I don't, I don't really know who to believe. Well, there, there would be the one that would be, uh, that would speak in tongues through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that was a distinguishing mark for, as the Bible says, for unbelievers. And so they would say, okay, that's the, the true prophet of God. Because again, all four of them would claim to be prophets from God preaching four very different things. And so one of the stamps that, that differentiated in the first century church was the, the movement of the Holy Spirit in the speaking of other languages. Yeah, and, and that word tongues literally translates languages. Right. And, um, you know, somebody was talking about that last week. I don't remember exactly where I was listening, but they were talking about this idea of Pentecost and tongues. And they said it might even be better said hearing in tongues because it, it's like you say you were preaching and I spoke a different language. I would hear you preaching in my language, but you may be speaking in my language in your language. Right. And um, it was a powerful tool for the gospel. And I still believe like if you were in a situation where the you had the opportunity to present the gospel and it was a, a closed-off situation where it's like, hey, God can break the barrier of language here for somebody to receive and understand the gospel. Like, that would be a, a biblical example, I believe, of speaking in tongues. Sure. Um, but I don't think we, we look at tongues, and this is where we would differ from, like he said, from brothers and sisters. I go, that's the expression of the Holy Spirit. I don't think that the Bible points us to saying this is the, the sign that people have received the Holy Spirit. I think right. we have other examples. And I see Pastor Matt looking at the scriptures here. <laughs> So, I mean, you ask, what's the, the, I can't remember your expression, the expression of the Holy Spirit. Here you go. Uh, therefore, God, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, I, I would say that's the, the evidence yeah. of the Spirit. Well, you know, and <laughs> that's the expression of the Spirit. Absolutely. And it would almost be easier if the Bible said, hey, here are the expressions of mm -hmm. the Spirit, mm -hmm. but it does. Um, Galatians chapter 5, but the fruit or, you know, fruit is what's birthed out of, that would be the expressions of the Spirit, Yep, is love, that's first and foremost, which that's the whole point of why John talks about the Spirit in the passage we're mm -hmm. looking at today. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It does not say but the fruit of the Spirit or expression of the Spirit is speaking in tongues, prophesying, all of these different things. So it says, well, how do we look? How do we just gauge, determine whether someone has the Holy Spirit? It's are the fruits of love, joy, mm -hmm. peace, patience, kindness, goodness, yeah. faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control expressive in their life. Because that is the fruit, the expressions that the Holy Spirit is present. Yeah, I heard a, uh, and a friend of mine, he's a senior saint, I will say it that way. Uh, he said... Uh, you know, often we think of the work of the Holy Spirit as is you're you're to you know speak a certain thing, you know, say something, uh, prophesy or preach or 
He said in the, the biggest expression of the Holy Spirit in his life is to shut his mouth when he's supposed to. He says it wasn't actually speaking. It was knowing when not to speak. He said the, yeah. the Holy Spirit would say, hey, don't say that. Don't, you know. And, and again, that goes back to the original text. You know, we're in uh, talking about loving your, your brothers. and so that, that last part, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And I think that's one we don't really think of mm-hmm. right. often as an outworking of the Holy Spirit is knowing when not to say something, when not to do something, yep. uh, right. which is kind of the opposite. And, of what and that's where my concern gets on these other expressions of the Holy Spirit that are focused on is if you're focusing on this outward expression of the Holy Spirit, you miss the point of the inward transformation that the Holy Spirit is providing. Mm-hmm. And that's the that's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Work of the Holy Spirit in our life is not something for people to see us do at church. It's for something to be produced in our life that changes the world. Sure. Yeah, it's for the building up of the church. And, and your list from Galatians, mine from Ephesians, and there's several other lists, that is actually the building up of the church. Correct. Not just speaking in another language that then you have to have somebody interpret. Right. And again, I, I want to say, we say these things with all the respect Absolutely. in the world for our other brothers and sisters who so would disagree with us wholeheartedly on these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but as, as a church and as a group of pastors, this is what we believe. So I believe God's word teaches. And we believe that we need the Holy Spirit. Now, Francis Chan wrote a great book uh, called Unfor- The Forgotten God. And basically, yeah, um, giving you just a little bit of history, because everybody doesn't have this um, context, but... The charismatic movement as we know it today is is a fairly new movement. Sure. Um, it's not um, something that has been expressed throughout the thousands of years of the church. Um, and when that movement really took fire in the 70s, uh, most Baptists, Methodists, everybody that was not following under the Pentecostal um, banner, they tried to get as far away from the Holy Spirit as possible because they were trying to make sure that people didn't think they were part of the Pentecostal movement. Mm -hmm. Francis Chan talks about how that created the Holy Spirit as a forgotten God. Mm -hmm. We cannot live as believers without the Holy Spirit. We can't forget Him. We can't not talk about Him. We can't can't pretend like the Holy Spirit doesn't exist because we don't want to be categorized in another group or in part of another movement. Mm. The Holy Spirit is essential in the life of the believer, has great power to give us boldness, strength, along with peace, joy, love, self-control, all of these different things. And we need to embrace his role in our lives because he is what helps bring the transformation in our lives. Um, Another role, and I meant to mention this earlier, I think it's a pretty important role that the Holy Spirit plays, is that he intercedes for us in prayer. Mm. The the scripture like this beautiful... um, kind of pipeline of prayer that when we pray, the Holy Spirit interprets it and takes it to Jesus and Jesus to the Father. And it's essential. The Holy Spirit, we can't pretend like it doesn't exist. We can't live the life without him, a spiritual life without him. Like mm-hmm. We must embrace the Holy Spirit working in our hearts and in our lives. Yeah, and, and along that same vein, and one of the most uh, beautiful things that, that I read in Scripture concerning the Holy Spirit is that the times when we do not have the words to pray, it says that the uh, the Holy Spirit offers up utterances and, and groanings, mm-hmm. um, like like your like your soul is gro- like you don't even know what to say. Yeah, He offers up things, offers up prayers on your behalf, and I was like, and I don't even I don't truly understand sure. how that works or 
or everything. But man, that's that's a beautiful picture to me uh, of the Holy Spirit. I think what uh, Pastor Josh was saying earlier, uh, kind of summarizing what Francis just said. I mean, that there is a valid argument that sometimes you'll hear uh, from our charismatic brothers and sisters. You hear them say, um, "Well, you, you know, you Baptist, you uh, whatever, uh, you guys believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible." And yeah. you know what? That that's a fair critique because sometimes we do forget about the Holy Spirit, and we we are trying to avoid. That. That's why we're addressing it here, what have you? Because um, yeah, we don't want to be labeled. Yeah, it's charismatic or something. I mean, truly, that, that's, that's part of it. it yeah, and that's why people avoid talking about the Holy Spirit. Yeah. 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 Well, I think it's been a helpful discussion on the Holy Spirit, and probably a topic that we'll dive into a little bit deeper in other forms and fashions um, in the future. But that's our deep dive for today, and we'll be back in just a minute to wrap up this episode. Of We're back to wrap up this week of the Wordsmith Podcast. What do you guys take away from the passage this week? I'm going to go out on a limb here and say John wants us to love other people. Mm-hmm. And he wants yeah. to express God's love to the world. You know what? When you read the passage earlier. Now, I, I studied it yesterday. I promise I did. <laughs> when you read the passage earlier, I don't know how I did this. I must have skipped over it yesterday. But the idea of um, if you don't love your brothers and sisters who you have seen, of course you don't love your father who you haven't seen. That that struck a chord with me, and somehow I skipped over it yesterday. That's such a good point, is this idea of, you know, we are prone to live by sight as opposed to live by faith. And, and that's absolutely true. But the way we live by sight inherently speaks to what's going on in our hearts and what God's really doing in us. Uh, so, yeah, that just that idea, if I, if I don't love my brothers and sisters— who are there before me, and I can see with my own physical eyes, mm-hmm. um, it speaks to my lack of love for my father or whatever. That, that sure. convicted me. Yeah. I mean, I, I, the same thing for me, um, to, to love our brothers and sisters. Um, we don't really use that terminology a lot uh, around here. I mean, it's of course, it's biblical. Mm-hmm. but And to be honest, it's... It's people like me that make it hard sometimes, I think, uh, because I, I know a lot of times I don't make it easy for people to love me. Like, and I say this a lot. I'm very self-aware. I'm just not, a, I just don't want to do much about it, there you go. about what I find out. But I, I, I do understand that many times it is very, I'm very hard to love. Uh, sometimes I'm brash. Sometimes I say things and do things that I, uh, I, I do regret later. Mm-hmm. Um, I may not publicly regret them, but inwardly i do um and maybe i should be better about that to be uh, outwardly contrite but uh yeah i think that's that's part of the uh, ebb and flow is that we often as brothers and sisters in the same family we 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 have to love each other but a lot of times we just we don't like each other because we make it really hard on each other to do that but i would still even even when I'm not likable. I still know that people do love me. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a good thing. Yeah. In his book, Learning to Live and Love Like Jesus, Brandon Cook says, many times the measure of discipleship, we ask the wrong question. We ask the question, how am I doing? 
How am I doing reading my Bible? How am I doing praying? How am I doing this? He said, it's the wrong question to ask when we want to measure the maturity of our life as a disciple. He said, the correct question to ask is, how am I doing loving those that God has placed in my life? Hmm. And I believe that echoes what John is saying here, that if I want to love the Father more, and now don't misunderstand what I'm saying, read your Bible, praying, worshiping, all of those things equip you and help you to love the people that God's placed in your life the way that we're supposed to. And so that becomes the measure. And so maybe that's just a helpful question for you as a listener today to go, okay, how's my life? How's my spiritual life going? Don't ask the question, how am I doing reading my Bible? Read your Bible. Don't misunderstand me. Read your Bible. But ask yourself this question, how am I doing loving the people that God has placed in my circle? Because John says, if you're not doing that, you're not loving God no matter all the other hoops that you're going through. And we look at the Pharisees as a perfect example of that. Uh-huh. Man, they did everything right except for love. And yeah. um, they missed the whole point. And so may, let's make sure as we're following after Christ, we don't miss the point that he's called us to love people and to be his expression of love yeah, to and, the world. And speaking as someone who is hard to love, and just this is just kind of practical advice. If, if you want to love someone better, learn how to show them grace. Because that that is an outworking of love in your life is to, mm-hmm. I, I know they said this, I know they did this, but show them grace. If you look at any good marriage, I guarantee you a marriage that lasts 40, 50, 60, which I'm halfway there. Wow. It's crazy. Old. I know. <laughs> um, but strong marriages that last 50, 50 years, um, I guarantee you this will be a characteristic. Over that 50 years, they have shown one another a lot of grace. Uh, so go out and show somebody grace that, and they don't even have to deserve it. That's what grace is all about. Oh so. yeah, it's that's the idea. Of God sent His Son. He yeah. sent His Son into a world of full of rebellious, hateful, hurtful people. Yet He loved us anyway. And likewise, we are supposed to love those around us in the same way, in the sure. same Christ-like way. But God demonstrated His love in this: that while we were still sinners, He sent His Son to die for us. Romans five eight been a great week of the Wordsmith Podcast. We thank you guys for joining us. No matter how you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, almost anywhere that podcasts are played, we thank you for joining us this week. And we'll be back next week with another episode of the Wordsmith Podcast.